pray together. Ask the Lord to bless his word to us. Lord, we thank you for being able to be here together to worship you. We bow before you. We humble our hearts before you. We pray that you would use your word to change us and make us more like Jesus. We ask these mercies in his name. Amen. This week, the Navy completed a series of briefing reports in which they are saying, in essence, we live in a dangerous world, and it's difficult for the military, not just the Navy, but all the branches of the military, to keep up with the threats that are before us. Those threats pose a problem for our safety as a nation. Safety is an important thing, isn't it? When kids go out on the playground, we want them to be safe. We don't want them to fall off the slide and hit their head. We don't want a bad guy to come and get them. Safety is important from a financial point of view. Debbie and I were recently talking with somebody who said, person who's 50, uh, I have a plan. I think I can be a millionaire by age 60, and I think I can do it. And certainly... There are lots of references in the Bible to safety when we think about our spiritual lives. One of those passages is the one we just read. Acts chapter 27, verses 27 to 44. You will see that it ends on this note. Everybody that was on the boat got to land safely. What's Luke telling us about safety here? More than that, what's the Lord telling us about safety? You may have come this morning thinking to yourself, you know, I don't really have much interest in what Paul experienced. Which reminds me of a story. Uh, about a century ago, Harry Emerson Fosdick was a pastor of Riverside Church in New York. And he said, it's only the pastor who thinks that the congregation shows up on Sunday because they want to find out what happened to the Jebusites. I, that might be true for you today when we think about Paul. You're not particularly interested. And so let me change your attention just a little bit. These verses are primarily about God and how he relates to you and how he relates to all of us as people. How does Luke structure these verses? Well, if you look at them, you'll notice that he uses, there are 18 verses we're going to look at. You'll notice that Luke uses time as a marker. Um, look at verse 27. What's it say? There are two markers there. Uh, first of all, it says that he, he talks about 14 days. 14 days what? 14 days, people on this boat had been out in what was a typhoon. They're enduring that that long. And then he has another time marker. He says it was at midnight and certain things happened. And then if you just go down to the uh, verse 33, there's another marker. Uh, it's not midnight anymore. It's before dawn. And then one more marker down at verse 39, we're told day had come. So those 
time markers are parts of the ways in which Luke organizes his thoughts here, and we're going to look at them in that order. He takes 18 verses and uses those to describe the events of essentially seven, six, seven, eight hours, midnight to when the sun comes up. He really packs the details in there. I think this would make a great movie. What does he say? Well, first, the first thing that he does is he focuses our attention on safety at midnight. 14 days, these people have been enduring the sea storm. And now what happens is the sailors hear something. Apparently, they probably couldn't see much, but apparently they hear something and it makes them think we might be getting closer to land. And so they measure 120 feet, the first measurement, 90 feet, the second measurement. Yes, it does look like they're getting, we're getting closer to land and they are afraid. And so they take four anchors and put them out the back of the boat hoping to slow down the ship, lest it strike the rocks. And then the sailors take the smaller boat that's on the ship, and they let that down over the side, saying, this is what we're going to do. We aren't going slowly enough yet. Let's put some more anchors out the front of the ship. But Paul somehow is able to see through that. That's a guise. That's a, uh, that's, um, they're just trying to deceive people. And look at your Bible. It says they were planning to escape. Well, Paul brings that to the centurion's attention. They cut the ropes on the boat. On the little boat, it splashes down into the sea, and now they're all confined to this large ship that is being tossed, and tossed about by the storm. Think for a moment about the sailors. There are 276 people on this boat, we're told. We are not told who they are. Men, sailors, soldiers, the captain of the ship, the owner of the ship, the centurion, Paul, Aristarchus, and Luke, and for all we know, women and children. We aren't told. But imagine the sailors' decision now. First of all, they're cunning. And secondly, they're cruel. They're there to take care of the people on that ship, not to abandon ship because they're afraid. It's not unlike what happens when we step onto a plane. We expect that the flight crew is going to do their best to get us where we want to go. Not these sailors. And we might want to ask why. Why are people so focused on their own agenda? Why wouldn't they have the larger group in mind? Well, that's safety at midnight. And what you see here is the Lord 
taking care of Paul and the others as the sailor's plan comes to light and they are kept from that. But this boat is still in a bad way and so the next section, verses 33 down through verse 38, has to do with safety before dawn. What's it like before dawn? Maybe you've been in a situation where uh, you're trying to take care of a little baby who's sick and crying and won't go to sleep and there's no comforting this child. And you think to yourself, I'm half sick to my stomach just from being up this much of the night. Will this child never, never settle down? Um, won't dawn please come for us? Or maybe, uh, maybe it's been a situation for you where you're taking care of somebody who is dying. And you think, will dawn never come? Or maybe you've been sick in the middle of the night. Fever, chills, headache, aching all over. Will dawn never come? It kind of reminds me of Psalm 130. The writer says, Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ear be attentive to the voice of my supplication. If you, Lord, should mark iniquity, O Lord, who could stand? But there's forgiveness with you. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. What's it like when you're waiting for dawn to come? Well, that's what we see next. What does happen? As day was about to dawn, we read, Paul urged them all to take some food. See it right there? Verse 33. Paul has brought to light the sailors' attempt to flee the ship. And now he turns to everybody else that's on board and he says, look, we've been at this for 14 days. You haven't eaten enough to sneeze at. And you need to get some food. Would you please take some food? And so he takes bread. He blesses it. He eats and... Other people on the ship eat. He says, not a hair is going to fall from your head. The Lord's going to take care of us. And they are encouraged and he's encouraged. That's what happens as they wait for the dawn to come. And we ought to pause just here at this moment and ask ourselves, why is Paul conducting himself like this? He's a prisoner, isn't he? Why would a prisoner now suddenly start acting like the chaplain? That's what he does, right? He says, here, eat. Health. He's not just the chaplain, he's also the dietitian, I guess. <laughs> here, eat. <laughs> the Lord's going to take care of us. Why does Paul do that? I think what he's doing, you help me, but I think what he's doing is he's simply working out Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Do you know what that says? Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. As you have opportunity, do good to all, 
especially those who are of the household of faith. Paul has an opportunity to bless the people on the ship, even the sailors who have been heading for the door. He can bless them, and so he does. And we want to just pause here and ask the question, was, were those words written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Galatia just his own personal practice? No. They come to us by way of command. You, as you have opportunity, do good to all men, particularly those who are of the household of faith. So think about your last week. What was it like? Did you bump into anybody where you could give a smile or a word of encouragement, where you could be of some help? You know, I think that often we're inclined to act this way. Well, if I don't know the person, I really don't want to get too close to them. I, I don't really need, want to try to help. Let somebody else do that. But that's not at all the way Paul functions here. Neither is it the way in which he directs us to act as followers of Jesus. I mean, it kind of reminds us, doesn't it, of the story of the Good Samaritan? Now, as Jesus tells that story, there is no indicator that the Samaritan that day started out thinking to himself, hmm, you know, a few more uh, yards or miles, I'm going to bump into some guy who's been beaten half to death by thugs. Maybe I should plan on him. No, there's nothing like that in the story. He sees the man who's been beaten, and unlike the, we might say, religious priest and Levite who pass by on the other side, the Samaritan stops and extends himself to this man who is in such dire need. I wonder what more could you do to be like Paul and to be less like the sailors on this boat? Well, so what we've touched on is uh, safety at midnight and safety before the dawn. What about safety when the light finally comes? That's given for us now in verses 39 and following. What happens? When it was day, we're told, there in verse 39, they could recognize the land. What a relief that must have been. Not only the land, but not rocks, rather a beach. And they think to themselves, all right, let's head this boat for the beach. Maybe we'll be able to make it to shore. And so they do. Now, there are two problems that haven't occurred to them that have safety implications. The first one is that as they head for shore, the bow of the ship hits a reef they, hadn't, uh, they didn't know about, and it sticks there. And the storm is still apparently raging because the bow stands fast in the reef and the winds and the waves keep on battering the back of the ship, so much so that it begins to break apart. What will happen now? So Julius the centurion says, okay, if you can swim, jump over. 
go. And the rest of you that can't swim, well, you jump overboard too and see if you can grab a plank and make it to shore. But there's another problem that is a safety factor. You know what it was? It wasn't the sailors who were self-centered. It's the soldiers who are self-centered. The soldiers who are responsible to take care of the prisoners. And what do they think? We don't want to let any of those bad guys escape, so we got to kill them first. Why? What will happen to us? They get away. In the Lord's kindness, he moves Julius, the centurion, to want to take care of Paul and the others. And so he puts a stop to what would be a mass murder. And then what happens? People jump overboard, they grab boards, they, and we're told they all make it safely to shore and we can all breathe a sigh of relief and say, Whew, ain't it great? Except we miss something if we just end there. What do we miss? We miss the verb. Do you see it? Uh, let me see. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Were brought safely to land. That's the key verb here. Do you know what it means? Well, you'll get, uh, we, we can kind of expand upon its meaning a little bit just by taking it apart. It's made up of two words. The first word is through. And the second word is to save. Or we could say it this way. We all on the ship were saved through this mess and made it safely to land. It's an important concept. It reminds us of other things that the Bible tells us about how God deals with his people. How about Psalm 23? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear any evil. How about Psalm 121? I lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not suffer your foot to be moved. He that keepeth you will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. God is sovereign. That's one of the statements that Luke is making here. It's probably the overarching statement. Think about all the details that pop out of this passage. The Lord is managing them all. He's managing the sailors. He's managing the, sail the soldiers. He's managing the wind and the wave. He's managing the boat. He's managing the boat, the, the ropes that are down under the boat, holding it together. He's managing it all. It's not unlike what we recited a few minutes ago. 
Not a hair can fall from our head apart from the will of our Father who's in heaven because God is sovereign over all things. That's one of the messages that's here. I think Luke is doing something else. I think he's also saying God is particularly concerned with his messengers to care for them and with the message that he has given them, that that message is preserved and promoted. Because after all, the book of Acts is what? It's a book about the spread of the gospel. And so, Paul write, so Luke writes to Theophilus and he says, you'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. The Lord is interested in your witness to a lost and dying world, to a world where there are lots of threats to kids and medium-sized people and older people and everybody in between. There are threats in our world, and the gospel is the hope of the nations. And so at Christmas, what do we do? We're reminded of those wonderful verses from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of his father David to establish it and uphold it from this time forth and forever. The mouth of the Lord, or the zeal of the Lord, hath spoken it. What is God doing? He's establishing his government in this world, and he's establishing his government as his word of promise is passed on from one believer to another believer to another believer. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end. Isn't that wonderful? So we've looked at, um, we've, we've looked at safety at midnight and safety as... We wait for dawn and safety when the light comes. And maybe you can identify with some of those images as you think about the need for safety in your own life. The real issue, though, has to do with your eternal safety. It's pointed unto man once to die and after that to judgment. You're going to spend eternity somewhere. And we want to be able to say that you're safe in the arms of Jesus. And so he says to you, come to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. There is a song that I really like a lot. Andre Crouch wrote it a number of years ago, and uh, <clears throat> Bill's going to play it, and Debbie and he are going to sing the verse, and I hope that all of us then will stand and sing chorus. I hope we'll sing the chorus twice, and when we get to the sing the chorus twice, then I hope we'll sing the last line of the chorus twice. All right. Bill, the name of the song is Through It All. Yep, here it is. Many Tears and Sorrows.
I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow. There have been times I didn't know right from wrong. But through every situation, God gave blessed consolation. Though my trials only come to make me strong. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon His Word. Through it all, through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. Learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon His word. I've learned to depend upon His. Thank you for taking us through difficult times. We confess that we're very weak and we need your help. And so we thank you that we can confess you are Lord over all and entrust ourselves to your care. May that be the case now as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. We ask these mercies in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> 